Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Rochelles. Today's episode 248, and we're going to be interviewing Tyler. How are you doing today, Tyler? Doing great. Down here in Louisiana. Coming up on a, I guess you call it a mini milestone, 15 and a half years, clean and sober. That's a long time, my friend. Let's let, let's go way way back. Let, let's start with the very beginning. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Yeah, I come from a broken home in the Philadelphia area. We kind of bounced between Philly and South Jersey when I was a youngin. <clears throat> then we moved back to. Tell Why were you bouncing land. around? Why were you bouncing around? Do you remember? I a lot of it I don't remember. But the only thing, two things I really remember from my childhood is the night my grandmother died up at West Point, PA, coming out the church building. And the first time, I guess you could say I was drunk. I don't really know. I was seven years old and drank a six-pack of beer. At seven years old, you drank an entire six-pack? Yeah. Who gave it to you? Nobody. I took it from my dad. How did it make you feel? I was trying to, at that point, I was trying to figure out what's really to this because I didn't really feel nothing. It wasn't until I got about 12, 12 or 13, myself, my brother, and a really good family friend we took all the booze and went over. There was this old abandoned house down in South Jersey, right? Like four houses down from where I lived, two houses kind of north of where he lived. And we sat there and got shit-faced. That was the first time that I really felt it. And I remember when I got home, I passed out in the front yard. Well, quick question. When, uh, might be a stupid question. Did you enjoy it the first time you did it? Or the second time when you actually got, you know, drunk? Probably the second time more than the first. The first, I thought I was drinking water out of can. <clears throat> I really did. I never felt nothing. I mean, I was able to function and, and do my studies at night and all that stuff. But the second time, I there was no functioning. And then 
knocked all that off for want to say three years, three or four years, and then I tried pot. And I just, I, I didn't care for it. It wasn't, it didn't, it, it was like the first time I drank beer. It didn't do nothing to me. I wonder why that is. I don't know. But they, but they say that things, Different things do different things to different people. Yeah, of course. I've heard a lot before in marijuana that a lot of people, the first time they don't feel it, but the second time they do. I I did it for, I don't know, probably a month, month and a half. Every day, every other day. Nothing. Why'd you continue to use it if it wasn't doing anything for you? I don't know. But then I keep hearing about this. Uh, I remember when I was in treatment, they talked about it a lot. It's called an addictive personality. I'm listening. So, what, you think you were just doing it because... Well, that's what I'm saying. An addictive personality I, means you're addicted to something. I think I was just doing it to do it, to be honest with you. I really, the only thing it really did was take the place of my cigarettes. Okay, that was so all it I, really did. And at that time, you didn't have to be 21 to get cigarettes. Because I remember walking, there was a kind of like a like a Circle K or Wawa or something like that. And I, I remember at eight, nine, and 10 years old being able to walk down the store, get a package of cigarettes for mom or dad or my grandfather. I remember being able to do that. Today, you can't do it. Yeah, I remember those days. And I remember mm -hmm. living in uh, Reading, PA. And at the age of 17, I was getting served wild Irish rose in a bar. And by that point, the drinking age had, had changed. I want to say it was everywhere except Wyoming. And it was either North Dakota or South Dakota. The age stayed 19 for another, it was another couple of years. You know, I had no, I didn't have no, no ID card. The only thing I had was like, the, you know, the card they give you for the high school and stuff. That was all I had was a school card. Yeah. Never got asked for it. But back then the laws were a lot more lax compared to what they are today. Oh yeah. Big time. Big time. Now I'm 40, right. and I know when I was growing up, like you said, you can go run to the store and get your parents a pack of cigarettes, and no one would say anything. Yeah. <clears throat> but now, I, I don't know how it is up there in Jersey, but I know out in Nevada, I can't even go to the store to buy a pack of cigarettes or I haven't had my driving license on me. 
You're talking about nowadays. Yeah. And the one place I get my cigarettes at home, a month, it was either a month or a month and a half ago, there was a couple of kids outside the store wanting to get one of them vape things. And I told them, I can't do it. And I'm not going to do it. Yeah, you don't want to get yourself in trouble. Well, you don't know if they're cops or not. This is true. I know Washington State, they were using cops for a while. They'd send the kids to the front of the store, and the cop would be sitting up, up by the alley. It was It was weird. So it sounds like you started drinking the drugs pretty early. Tell me about your progression. How did it affect you, you know, socially and at school? My grades slipped to the <clears throat> point to where I I actually dropped out of school. What age? Seventeen. I had a year a year and I think it was like a year and three months left and I would have graduated. But my grandfather helped me get some work up in Pennsylvania. And I worked there for a year. And then I found this other gig, unloading trucks. I just, uh, basically a frozen food warehouse. So I started unloading trucks. I was making fast money doing that. And we had these neighbors that had lived below my mom. And his, I don't remember, I don't remember if they was ever married or not, but anyway, his lady had a sister who lived down in Norristown. I know you know where that is. Morristown? Norristown, yeah. yeah. We go down there on the weekends, and that was my first indulgence into the cocaine world. The first time, it did a little bit. But then each weekend, I would go down there and the more I went down there, the more it hit me. And the more, I don't know if it was fight or flight, but the more I started telling myself, I gotta get the hell out of here. So I left. I went up to uh, Washington State, Seattle area. Because I remember being younger and listening to all the music. There was a lot of good music come out of Seattle back in the day. So the music scene is what drug me up there just to go listen to it. Because I can't sing and I can't play an instrument to save my life. I mean, my dog is probably better at it than I am. <clears throat> so I moved up there. And I always wanted to drive these trucks. And this was also my first, 
I guess you would call it encounter with racism. But it was definitely racism, but I just don't know if you call it an encounter or what you call it. And I remember this one, basically a fuel stop, basically a Wawa with diesel pumps. And these, these, these two older guys, two older white guys said, go hang out at the forts. Because at that point, guys were crawling. They were just begging for bodies to fill seats. Because there was so much uh, turnover. And I got put, I got put in touch with this older person of color who still, he, we still talk to this day, he's still one of my best friends. And he saw something in me that I didn't, that I don't know what he saw, but he took a chance. But I had, because of my age, and at that time, the way the insurance companies were, you had to be a certain age to drive a certain type of truck. Where today, I can take my dog down, get him a CDL, <clears throat> and he can probably go to work for Landstar hauling some of the biggest stuff in the country. <laughs> but at that point, I had to start out basically work in Seattle, Portland, once in a while I'll go over the hill to Spokane. But I can't tell you how many days we missed work because of drinking. We're not gonna get into that one. He was my best friend, my boss, and my drinking buddy all at the same time. But his brother, the one who actually taught me to drive, found this new wonder drug, it was called Toothpicks. And a lot of these guys that run cattle, back in the day, they used to get these toothpicks and they dip them in horse tranquilizer. Basically today would be considered meth. What did you, you do? Up. You, you said it's a toothpick they dipped in it? <clears throat> yeah. And what would they do with the toothpick afterwards? Chew on it? You could only hold it under your tongue for like three, maybe four seconds at the most. You could blow your heart out. You could literally blow your heart out with, with holding hold just that much with toothpick under your tongue for more than about four seconds at the most. Because where it puts a horse to sleep, it keeps us moving. And then once, but once I finished all my, uh, he called it city and mountain training. Then I was able to start coming out here and running the road. And he started me out hauling basically apples from like, uh, Mount Oregon, and Yak over in Eastern Washington. I got out of Miami or sometimes down to LA. But his brother always made sure I had a cigarette cellophane full of these toothpicks. It cost, I think it cost me 10 bucks or like 200 of them. 
So let's start talking more about your drug use. What were your main drugs of choice? <clears throat> Mainly Coke, meth, and Xanax. Coke, meth, and Xanax. Dangerous combination. The, uh, what are they called? Opiates never really did nothing for me. I never tried heroin. I couldn't stand the smell of it when they was cooking it down. Pot, like I told you before, it never, I don't know, it just didn't do nothing to me. Can't explain it. All it did was re, uh, replace my uh, craving for a cigarette for an hour or two. That's all it really did. I can't, I don't, can't explain why, but that's what it did. You know, I mean, but like I said earlier, you know, different things do different things to different people. That's why they say there's no two of us that's the same. Yep. That is absolutely correct. So at what point did you realize you were in trouble, that you were doing too much? I didn't realize I was doing too much till the end. When the end came, and how the end came was actually kind of funny. Because I, I left Seattle and I moved, I think it's 28, 26 miles to the north, a little town called Everett. Well, it ain't a little town no more. And down on Broadway, which is one of the main drags, there was a, a gas station and a bar and a restaurant. If you're coming down the hill and you look to the right, that's where they were. But over to the left, nestled around an auto repair shop and something else was another bar. And in the other bar is where all the guards from the jail drank at. And for some reason, I would go in that bar more times than I would go anywhere else. I have no idea why, but that's where I would go. <clears throat> and it was right after Labor Day. 2007, that gas station that was right across, well, yeah, across the street from the bar, I was dating this girl. I had been up for numerous days. Can't tell you how many days because I honestly don't remember. But he said something to her and kept walking towards the gas station. I handed her my gun, my dope, and my knife. I had been up on, like I said, I've been up on Xanax, Coca, meth, and I don't remember how long it was. 
I, I couldn't tell you. I followed him into that gas station. I whooped his ass in that gas station. Left the gas station. She was about two miles to the south and east of the gas station. By the time I finally caught up to her, I have no idea how I left the gas station and got to where she was. I was in what she called a drug-induced psychosis. Because of not remembering. There's, there's a whole lot of my last month that I don't remember. <clears throat> we left the spot where I met her at and made it. Three blocks to 41st Street. And that's where they nailed me at. I don't remember going to court. I don't remember eating. I only remember using the bathroom for three solid days. And there's one guard at the county jail. And he, he always said that there was a bunch of us. He knows on a on a first and last name basis. Mainly because we all went in the bar. And he always said to us, are you done yet? And of course, we used to just, you know, do one of these numbers, brush it off like it wasn't nothing. I don't know if it was the way he actually said it that particular time. Or what? But when he said, are you done yet? I pulled him to the side. I said, I think I might actually need help for this. I got, there's, there's, I'm doing something that ain't right because I keep ending up here. And the next day, he came into work. Actually, he came in the morning shift that day. And he had two ladies with him. They was from, uh, how was that called? It was a detox facility up there in Everett. I don't remember the name of it. Went through the, the paperwork process. And they used a, a number scale. I blew the numbers off the charts. It was like something told me if I didn't max these numbers out, that I, I was going to be stuck in that life, even though I knew there was more to life than what I had been doing. And I, I got out of jail on uh, third 
4th of October, 2007. And ran an old buddy of mine. He had some beard. He had some dope. <clears throat> Took a hit of dope. Couldn't even get high no more. It, it was like, I don't know, maybe something happened while I was in jail that time that actually told me that you're done. But I had to wait until the morning of October 8, 2007 to get into the, get into the treatment. And got on the bus, head held down, embarrassed by everything that I had done, you know. <clears throat> How, how did it up. feel once you once you arrived there? How did it feel? I didn't know what to make of it at first, but I went in, in into the situation with an open mind and, and a willingness to learn. That's all you need. And I was over there, I I want to say it was on the Indian Reservation over in Yakima, Washington, is where I went. Left there, did 28 days there, and then I went up to Spokane for two more months of inpatient, and then it was supposed to be a year outpatient, but they graduated me early. So what's life, what's life like uh, for you nowadays that you're sober? It's not easy. You know, there, there's nothing easy about, about life. But what I know today, I don't have to drink or use today to get through a situation in life. And I've had, I've, had some very dark days in my recovery. April of 2019, woman I was with for 10 years at that point, went in the hospital. And had the doctor listen, she'd still be here today. March 1st of 20, God called her home. Sorry to hear that. Last August 18th, I was hauling a brand new I mean, like, out of the factory, brand new cat machine down to Los Angeles for some kind of a exhibit thing. And I was almost to the California state line on 40 down in Arizona. And another truck driver lost it right in front of me. Had I hit him, 
we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. <clears throat> he, he had nine pallets of explosives in the front of that trailer. We're going through a monsoon, which is basically a severe thunderstorm for you guys out there. He decided he had to run 70 through it. No, and I got a whole stack of traffic behind me in the right lane. We're doing maybe 40 mile an hour with the four ways on because that's how bad the weather was. Unfortunately, three people didn't make it home from that. That's a shame. I had to get a nine month old out of a burning car. Some of the, that was one of the hard, hardest things I've ever had to do as a professional driver. Uh, and then a month, a month to the day, my mom passed. A month to the day of the accident, my mom passed. <clears throat> but. Sounds like you had some challenging times. And somehow the God of my understanding has carried me through those times. But it sounds like you're doing much better. You got your faith. Got ways to cope with all this stuff. Well, life, you know, like I said, it's not easy, but life isn't easy for any of us. I mean, let's just really look at it. You know, the cost of everything is going out, going up, but our wages are going down. Yeah. You know, I, I've been a part of some things. I've been a part of three different trucker protests. I was two years sober. And my late girlfriend stood beside me as I went back to school. I got my GED. Forty-two or forty years old, almost forty-one. I went back and got my GED. And I, thought I was going, and I thought I was going to, have to learn like all this new stuff the way the way they're teaching the kids today. But they went back to when I was in school and used the math and some of the other stuff from that time period. Yeah. Which uh, that they that really surprised me. It surprised a lot of people. So again, back into your using, we're again towards the end here. I wanted to ask you one last question. Do you have any advice for people watching, listening that might be struggling with their addiction issues and you know? Reach out. Reach out. Help is available. You can't overcome. It may seem like a grueling, a grueling job in the beginning, but it's not. You know, get to a meeting, do what I did, and, and 
listen to different people speak, choose you a sponsor based upon that. I think the most important thing that I can tell anybody, relapse does not have to be a part of your story. I'm a firm believer in that as well. Some people say, oh, it's just part of recovery. Like you said, it doesn't have to be. No. I've seen people go back out and not come back. Yep. I lived in Illinois for about 13 years. And I had a really good friend there. He was kind of new to the program. And his wife went to jail for... It was either possession and delivery or delivery of a controlled substance. And he was fighting to get his kids back. Three days before he was supposed to get his kids back, he went out. Three houses down from where I lived, he got a bad shot of heroin. And instead of doing the honorable thing with him, they threw him in the front yard and let the police find him. I was in, I want to say I was visiting my brother. He was still living in Pennsylvania at that point. It's a shame. But I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast today. It really uh, means a lot to me that you took the time to speak with us and, you know, go through your story and share your experience, strength, and hope. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Did you have anything else that you wanted to throw in? Well, my inbox on Facebook's always open. I don't, I don't do Instagram or any of that other stuff. Uh, reach out to me. I mean, I'm out here. My inbox is always open. Don't hesitate to reach out to somebody, whether it's me or Jim or, or whoever. You know, you just you just recently interviewed a lady friend from up in Canada who I, I've watched her grow since since we started talking in it in one of the chat groups. Oh, awesome! That's great. I, I've just watched the growth within her, and it's it's been phenomenal. It's been a blessing to be able to watch. Yeah, that is an amazing thing to watch someone progress along in their journey. I mean, I know we're miles or days apart, but still. <laughs> but she's, she's grown. She's at, uh, yesterday, she, I want to say she had all of her kids and a couple of grandkids at the house. I don't remember exactly, but it was watching stuff like that is phenomenal. Yeah. It's like I have people at home in my own group. I watched, I've watched a lot of these people that come through the drug court that are actually trying to get it. They're not just there to appease the court. They're there to actually turn their life around. Also, I mean, one more thing. You, you have to find a guy to your understanding. And for me, that, 
<clears throat> that was in the beginning that was the hardest thing but yet the best thing to try to find was something to lean on all right my friend i think that's a good place to wrap it up okay jim thank you no problem how do you feel did you have a good time today oh yeah i feel great yeah, it's always, it's always good to get your story out there, right? It makes you feel good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, my friend. So hang tight for me for just a minute. And for okay. everybody that's watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok. Um, as I usually say, you name it, we're on it. I also suggest checking out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources and free literature. And Addicts Anonymous has a book coming out, hopefully next month. It's called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. It's a collection of essays I've written, as well as people's personal stories of their journey through addiction and recovery. So I really hope you enjoyed what you heard and saw today. And until next time.